Well, good morning. I'm thankful to be here this morning. We are going to pick up in the book of James where we left off last time. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to the book of James, chapter 1. And we are going to pick up verses 5 through 8 this morning. I just wanted to recap where we were last time. We, uh, we said that James, a bond servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, was encouraging the 12 tribes of Israel who had been scattered abroad to consider it all joy when they encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of their faith produces endurance and that endurance would have its perfect work, that they would be complete, lacking in nothing. We, uh, we looked at that in uh, verses 1 to 2. We said that we needed to calibrate our perspective on the way we view trials in life. Uh, we needed, first of all, to relinquish our perceived rights, that you and I feel that we deserve uh, more sometimes than we get And in order to overcome trials in life, we need to see that we actually deserve nothing. We deserve nothing. What we get is mercy. Uh, But James uh, called himself a slave, a bondservant, a slave of Christ. And that is the perspective that he had. And as followers of Christ, we understand that we've given up any perceived rights that we may have. We follow our Lord and Master, and we give Him our all. Secondly, we were to reconsider our previous response. We were to consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. That's a mind shift, understanding that God is at work through the trials, testing our faith, creating in us a greater trust and dependence upon Him in the midst of those trying times. And that, because of that, we can consider it all joy. It doesn't seem joyful when we're going through trials, uh, to be sure. But James tells us to reckon it or to consider it joyful, knowing that it's, it has its end. It's a perfect end that God has determined. We also said that, uh, secondly, verses 3 to 4, we needed to celebrate God's providence. And there were two purposes of God's providence in trials. Uh, The one, the testing itself, we said, produces endurance. It is the actual test that produces endurance and perseverance in us. And beyond that, it matures us or completes us in Christ. Uh, Trials, uh, going through them, being put to the test, as it were, Uh, creates in us a greater love for the Lord, a greater dependence upon Him, and a a perfection or a completeness or a a maturity is the idea of uh, faith in Christ. So that's where we were. That's uh, verses 1 to 4. I want to pick up the reading uh, in verse 5. And uh, it, the title of this sermon is Wisdom for the Asking. And uh, there's a connection, I should say, between uh, verses 5 uh, and what comes before it. Verses 5 and following, 5 through 8. And what comes before it are connected. 
It's not a separate subject. It's not all of a sudden, now we're going to talk about wisdom. Uh, No, the idea here is we're going to talk about wisdom in the midst of trials. And that's, that's uh, that's where we're going with this text. So let's look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this morning from this text, we're going to see uh, a threefold way to get wisdom when you need it most during the trials of life. Just a show of hands, how many of you right now, this very moment, are going through a season of testing and trial? Okay. So this message is for you. This message is for you. This is a threefold way to get wisdom when you need it most. Right now, during life's trials. And so what I want to do is just ask the Lord to illuminate us and help us to understand His Word. Let's pray. Father, we have sung of Your greatness this morning. We have sung of Your love, Your majesty. And your commitment to us. And we pray that as we study your word this morning, as we seek you for wisdom in the midst of life's trials, that, Father, you would indeed grant wisdom. That you would help us to make sense of what it is that we're going through in light of how you're at work in our lives. Father, please make this text come alive uh, Give it relevance to our lives today, and may your Spirit illuminate our eyes to truly understand what you would have for us this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I guess it's fair to say it's not a matter of if you will face trials in life. It's a matter of when you face trials in life. Uh, The question is, how are you going to navigate through those trials? What sets your course? What keeps you on track? How do you find your way through them? And how do you make sense of what God is doing in your life? That's the question. This morning, uh, the first of the threefold way here is to acknowledge your flaws. Verse 5. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom... If is what we would call a first-class condition in the Greek. And what that means is it assumes that it's true. In other words, it does not imply any possibility that some of the readers of this letter might have sufficient wisdom. The reality is, none of us have sufficient wisdom. We all need wisdom. So I would say you could translate this, if you lack wisdom, and you do, then we need to ask God for it. Now, I did not say it is your fault. I said it's your flaw. 
We are born sinners. We are born blind slaves. We lack wisdom. It's just the nature of the beast. And the only way that we can get wisdom is to go to God for it. Now, ironically, write this down, the preeminent mark of wise people is that they realize they are in desperate need of wisdom. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? You are a wise person if you realize that you need it. And the trials of life reveal our dependence upon God and our need to understand His providential dealings in our lives. Wisdom itself is a very large topic to cover. But the context of the wisdom that's under discussion here is really a rather narrow sense of the subject of wisdom. It's wisdom granted by God in the midst of trials. It's not the whole subject of wisdom. It's, it's specifically how do we deal wisely when we're in the midst of a trial situation. And one writer said, we, wisdom of God enables us to receive joyfully the dispensations of God's providence. Uh, how do we deal with the trial? Now, James says in verse 4, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then he says in verse 5, but if any of you, or since you lack wisdom, then ask God. You see the connection there with the word lack. James tells his readers that if they will joyfully endure their trials, they will be perfect, they will be complete, they will be mature, and they will lack in nothing. But it's a foregone conclusion that you lack wisdom and you need to ask for it. So since each of us lacks wisdom, we need to go to the source, the wellspring of wisdom, the storehouse treasure of wisdom that resides with God. Now in Jewish culture, Wisdom was obtained through the study of the law of God and by applying its truth to life. They would study, they would meditate on it, they would study some more, and they, would, they believed that through the study of the Scriptures they could draw out wisdom for life and then put it into practice. Now that's not far off, but for the Christian, wisdom is obtained through the added component of prayer. Prayer. Believers must study the timeless truth of God's Word, but beyond that, they need to prayerfully seek God's leading. Show of hands, how many of you are happy with your prayer life? That's what I thought. Believers need to study the Word of God. They need to pray to God. And I'm not saying... Listen to me. I'm not saying that wisdom cannot be found in the Scriptures. I'm saying it needs to be coupled with prayer for illumination. 
James' whole point is that we must ask God. You see that in verse 5? If any of you lacks wisdom, and you do, let him ask God. And it's the same in the next verse. But if any of you, I mean, but, but he must ask in faith. So we must ask of God, and we must ask in faith. We must ask for wisdom. It is the same word, and it, it involves prayer. There's no two ways about it. It's prayer. Uh, John MacArthur says, This is not a wisdom of philosophical speculation, but the wisdom contained in the pure and peaceable absolutes of God's will, revealed in His Word and lived out. And only such divine wisdom enables believers to be joyous and submissive in the trials of life. If you are in a trial, your greatest need at this moment is the wisdom of God. One author has said this, God permits the turbulence of a wicked world to rock us and both makes and takes these opportunities to draw us more deeply into fellowship with Him. God uses trials to draw us to Him in dependence. So on one hand, we may see trials as horrible and awful to go through, and they may very well be, but we can consider them joyful because... They draw us closer to God in dependence when we need Him most. How many times will you try to navigate the trials of life by processing them? I just need to process this more. I need to, I need to think it through. I need to logically make a decision and come to a, a rational approach and, and then I'll know what to do. It doesn't work. It will never work to do that. It's like banging your head against a wall. It requires skill to live life. Have you ever thought about that? Life living requires skill, and unfortunately most people just sort of meander their way through life. But life requires skill. And skill comes through seeking God. See, if any of you lacks wisdom, and you do, then ask for it. Ask for it. Perhaps you're out there thinking this morning that things are, things are too hard at work. I don't know how much more I can take of this. I am ready to murder my boss. <laughs> I am ready to beat my coworker to death. I am ready to walk off the job and switch careers forever. I don't know, maybe you're out there thinking, my marriage is way too difficult for me. This is not what I bargained for. I want out now. Maybe you think you need to get out and find someone else to be with who loves you more.
Maybe you're facing a health crisis. Maybe your health is tanking. And you're not sure what you're going to do. Maybe you're embroiled in conflict. Maybe you've got a conflict going on with a family member or a friend and you don't know what to do about it. You don't know how to resolve it. The point is, you lack wisdom. And you need it to honor God as you move through life. It takes skill. I have a confession to make here. I'm a proud man. I am a proud man. And in my heart of hearts, I hate to admit my dependence upon anybody. I hate to admit that I need anybody for anything. I hate to ask for help. And in my arrogance, I believe that I can get most jobs done on my own. I hate this about myself. It's, it's stupid. It's wrong-headed. If I sat and thought about it for just a moment, I would realize that I need God for everything. I can't take another breath without God. You realize that? We are wholly, utterly dependent upon God. And yet most of us live life independently of Him. We don't ask. And because we don't ask, we don't receive. So the first step to solving any problem is what? Admitting that you have one. Right? Admitting that you have one. We need to acknowledge our flaws. We don't have wisdom, and we need it so very desperately to live life skillfully. And we need help to grow through the trials of life, not just get through them. Second, ask your father. Acknowledge your flaws, and the second of the threefold three-pronged approach here is to ask your father the second half of verse 5 let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him Uh, in the original it says let him ask from the giving God giving is placed forward for priority change in the word order it emphasizes the fact that god is the giver and it's a interesting greek has something known as a third person imperative in our language it's usually second person you do this but in the third person imperative it's let him do this so it's a third person command and it's it's saying that it's essentially part of christian duty to ask god it's not a suggestion it's a command And it's a continual action here. Let him be asking constantly. It's not just a one-time thing. It's, It's not just when you're in the foxhole. It's ask and ask again and keep on asking 
Because you need wisdom. Uh, One writer, uh, one commentator, he said, giving is the inherent nature of God. He is the giving God. You know, we value education in our culture. You know, the higher your degree, the more money you make, the more you're respected in society. We value education, but wisdom does not come through education. Did you know that? Just as it's true that education does not equal morality, so it's true that education does not equal wisdom. And our problem is not a lack of information, believe me. Wisdom is not simply the attainment of knowledge. Wisdom is the application of true knowledge. And we have to ask for it from the God who gives it. The Earl of uh, Shaftesbury, during his education campaign in the, in the 19th century, said this, Education without instruction in religious and moral principles will merely result in a race of clever devils. You have to couple education with morality. They're they're two separate subjects. But education, doctors can be some of the most immoral people you might want to meet. It's not education. And there's only one place we can go to obtain true wisdom, and that's from God only wise. Right? Immortal and visible, God only wise. Who bestows wisdom generously, and, and the idea there is without reserve, without accusation, without scolding us, without reproach, without saying, I can't believe you've done this again. He desires us to come to Him. He welcomes our requests. It's part of His eternal plan that we should come to Him so that He can pour out His providential and sovereign blessings upon us. We have to ask for it, though. Generously is the word haplos. Uh, Its root meaning is singleness. Singleness. You can look over at Colossians 3.22. The idea is sincerity of heart. Sincerity. God not only gives generously, but genuinely or sincerely or with, with singular devotion. Not only with open hands, but with a full heart. God gives because it's who He is. He loves to give. And He gives without reproach. The idea here is, is without accusation. And it means he, he doesn't keep an account of how many times we've asked for the same thing. How many times we've blown it. He doesn't limit how often He's going to answer our prayers on any given subject. You're never going to hear, you've asked me for that ten times and I've given it to you ten times and now I'm fed up. See, God is the source of true wisdom. And He would later say in this very chapter down in verse 17, every good thing 
bestowed, and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. I think Job understood this truth, did he not? Do you think Job went through trials? Job is part of wisdom literature. He certainly understood this in the midst of his trials. He lost his family. He lost his servants. He lost his livestock. He lost his health. He lost everything. He needed wisdom to manage his way through his heartache and depression. If you look at chapter 3, he wishes he had never even been born. And he goes so far to say, is, if I was born, why wasn't I still born? He's depressed. He's lost it all, and he's depressed, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's looking for wisdom. And so he seeks his friends out for wisdom, and do they give it to him? No. No. So in Job's final discourse, in, in Job 28, 12 through 28, uh, I'm going to read this because it's worth reading. Man is incapable of discovering wisdom on his own. That's the conclusion. You can't come up with it on your own. You have to ask God. Job 28, 12-28, he says, Where can wisdom be found? Where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, It's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where is the place of understanding? Thus, it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, with our ears, we have heard a report of it. God understands its way and he knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by hand, uh, by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and he searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Not only is God the source of true wisdom, but He gives it generously, and He gives it without reproach to those who ask, if we would only ask. So James says, let him ask of God and it will be given. And this should sound very familiar, should it not? What did Jesus say in Matthew 7, 7 to 11? He said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. For what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? You ask your dad for a a loaf of bread, he's not going to give you a rock. You ask your heavenly Father for wisdom, he's going to give it. We should ask for something to be given, not something to be done. need to think about that. We need something from God, and that is wisdom. We're not asking Him to do something. We're asking Him to give something. People often ask me how I ended up in ministry, and it's a long but a worthwhile story that I'm going to encapsulate for you this morning. I promise not to be long-winded. But God providentially worked in my life through a very difficult season of trial. I was working in the field of respiratory therapy. Uh, This is back in the 90s. Sorry, date my age here. (laughs) But um, I had been working in the field for quite some time. Uh, and was working towards obtaining uh, a license in the field and was doing the education and such. And uh, somebody filed a complaint against the state of California, uh, a complaint against me with the state of California, uh, saying that I was practicing respiratory therapy without a license. And I had been there for 10 years working under doctor supervision and such. Uh, And... And even in my first job description, it said, um, Vincent has done an excellent job. He's learned all the things and everything we've taught him, and he would do well to obtain a license someday, right? Well, this report got filed. The state came out, and they investigated, and, and they said, yes, you're practicing without a license, and they wanted their pound of flesh. And so they were threatening me with jail time, They were threatening me with massive fines. I was going to lose my job. And at this time, we had had just had our son. Um, And I was thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I need wisdom, (laughs) right? I needed wisdom in a big way. Um, Well, interestingly enough, the clinic that I worked in got bought by the hospital, which now opened up just this huge wealth of resources. And I was involved in the church at this time as well. But I just walked faithfully through this time, sought the Lord, my wife and I, through prayer, asking the Lord, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? And the hospital hired lawyers for us. And I had to meet with these high-priced lawyers down in Newport Beach. And I'm sure I'm leaving out a lot of details here, but... But the bottom line is that I was just asking the Lord to, to let me be a witness through all of this for him. And, and, you know, here I am in this room with 
all of the executives and the high-priced lawyers, and they're basically looking to throw me under the bus. And, and I pulled out this job uh, evaluation that I had from my first year of employment that said what I told you, and they were, their faces turned kind of white, and uh, they knew I had them over a barrel, and I told them, I don't want to sue anybody. Uh, I'm not looking to make money. I'm not looking to get rich off this. I just want to serve my patients and do my job and honor God in the midst of this. And I even talked about God's sovereignty, and, and God gave me the ability to speak to these people in a way that um, honored Him. And so through that, I was allowed to take my state boards, which I, I passed on the first try, praise God. Uh, the company paid for the lawyers, they paid the state of California, they paid for the probationary license uh, and and they employed me through the whole thing and I came out on the other end of it and I didn't want to be in respiratory therapy anymore I wanted to serve God God worked in my life in such a way to completely change my desires so um, I tell you all that to say trials come could I have asked God, hey, Lord, help us to become rich through this, you know, or, or uh, give me wisdom as to whether or not to sue them, you know, uh, for the heartache and the emotional distress. Uh, I didn't want any of that. I just wanted to honor him. And I asked him for the wisdom to do that, and he gave it to us. And he, he gave us so much more than that because he changed my affections along the way. It's, and now I've been in ministry, I, I don't know, 20 years. And um, looking back, that was a pivotal, it was a pivotal time for us. It was a pivotal moment. It would be another probably seven years before I was actually in vocational ministry. I prayed for seven years. And then I had to do seminary. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But, but you see, God set us on a course because we sought Him. So you need to acknowledge your flaws. You need wisdom and you don't have it. And you need to ask your Father. And we can only tap into the storehouses of God's wisdom as we seek Him for it. And third, we need to ask in faith. Ask in faith without doubting. Verses 6 through 8. And he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James gives us two antithetical statements here. Antithetical, I'm sorry. Uh, asking in faith is the opposite of asking with doubt. You see that? And doubting, this is, not, this is not uncertainty, but more of an internal indecision. Uh, wavering between two desires 
uh, serving God or serving myself is the idea. I'm mindful of Hebrews uh, 11.6. says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because any who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And I would add to that, coupled with an acknowledgement of our need of help. So there's a picture here provided by the author. The, the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Uh, these are participles here. He's, he's being driven and he's being tossed by the wind. They're, they're uh, active language. Uh, it's a violent wind-driven sea and he's getting tossed to and fro is the idea. They're in the present tense, which is the idea that it's an ongoing present tense being tossed to and fro. It's a continuous action and it's also in a passive voice, which is the idea that something is doing it to him. Something from the outside. So he's getting tossed to and fro by something from the outside. And I guess the point in all of that is this. Doubters... Those who pray with doubt, who lack faith, lack any inner stability to stand against external forces. So therefore, they are in constant turmoil and indecision. It seems to be what the picture is meant to portray here. They're, they're getting tossed all over the place because they can't make up their mind. And and then James almost says, with a voice of contempt, that man ought not to expect that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded. He's unstable. That man is very emphatic. The man who doubts in this way shouldn't expect God to bless his prayers. He shouldn't expect anything. He prays one way. Then he changes his mind, then he prays another, and then he prays another way again. He's all over the place. He doesn't know what he wants. Double-minded is used here and also over in chapter 4, verse 8. You can see that. It literally means double-souled. It's daisukas. It's, it's double-souled. And James is the only one in the New Testament who uses this term. But it basically means he's a doubter. He's a hesitator. He's somebody who flinches, who can't make up his mind. Uh, Some believe this to be speaking about unbelievers, and that may very well be. But this man is certainly someone who, I agree with Dr. MacArthur here, who says he occasionally believes in uh, God, but fails to trust him when trials come, and so he receives nothing. I think that's the picture here. How many of you have seen The Last Samurai? I'm going to use a cultural reference. Come on, Tom Cruise, good movie. Anyway, Tom Cruise is learning how to um, uh, fight with the samurai swords, right? He's learning the samurai style of fighting with the sword, and uh, he's getting whooped for lack of a better expression. He keeps getting smacked upside his head. And uh, the one guy comes running over and he says, too many mind, too many mind. And he, he, he's telling him, 
you need to concentrate. You need to focus. Your mind's all over the place. You're thinking too much. Narrow your focus. And that's the picture here. Too many mind. You're going to remember that now, aren't you? I mean, can I ask you this morning, what is it that you want? What do you want? What do you want God to do for you? What are you, what are you asking God to give you or do for you? Is it to serve Him in a greater way? Is it, is it to persevere for His glory? Is it, what are your prayers for? Do you pray at all? Are you asking God for something that brings you glory and honor? See, this, this idea of being unstable in all his ways, this man's prayer life is reflective of the rest of his life. Like his desk, you know? Is his desk organized or is there just clutter everywhere? I'm not judging you, I'm just saying you should have a clean desk. Your desk is reflective of your mind. Your prayer life is reflective of your mind. Your prayer life is reflective of the rest of your life. And a man who is unstable in all their ways means that their prayer life is probably the same. Interestingly, 2 Peter 3 describes false teachers using the same word. They're unstable. They're unstable. Those who doubt are unstable in all their ways. There's a good Bible commentator. His name is Edmund Hebert. And he says, Believing prayer takes its stand upon the character of God. I love that quote. Believing prayer takes its stand upon the character of God. God is a good God. We can approach Him with our needs. He will answer them because He's a giving God. That's who He is. It's what He does. So when life's trials come, you really need to acknowledge your need for wisdom. Start there. Ask your Father for it and ask believing that He can and will answer your prayers according to His perfect will. And it may not be what you want, but it will be what He wants. And, and this is really about how am I going to find calm and rest and peace in life? And the way you find it in the midst of the storm is to rest in the providence of God. You seek Him for His wisdom and understand and try to understand how He's at work in your life. What is He trying to accomplish? I'll just conclude with this. Listen, if, if the theory is that we need to embrace trials in order to grow through them, we need to consider them all joy, that's the theory, then the practice is this. We need to ask God for wisdom to see the good in the trials that we are facing. 
And we need to ask, believing in faith, that He's not only capable of answering those prayers, but that He will answer them as well. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run into Him and are safe. I pray that would be what you would find in the midst of your trial this morning that you would find our God to be faithful and to use that trial to draw you closer to Himself. For your good and for His glory. Amen.